Welcome to Spirit Behind the Screen. Each episode, your host, Marty McCurdy, deep dives on industry trends around high-reliability electronics and the supply chain in aerospace and defense. This is episode 24 with Dan Rebeck, an expert in EMP protection from Transtector and Polyphaser. Great to be here with Spirit Electronics this afternoon. My name is Dan Rebeck. I'm a product line manager with Infinite Electronics, which is a, a large operational holding company with many brands. Uh, I've been in this uh, in the electronics industry for 20 years now with a focus on lightning and electromagnetic pulse protection solutions, as well as uh, hardening uh, power distribution systems. And so here with my colleague, Adam Perone, we we do a lot of work for the Transtector brand under Infinite that really specializes in the high performance lightning and EMP solutions. So we're excited to uh, be here to describe the environment that we support and uh, how we support it and how we will continue to support it into the future. Fantastic. Well, this is Marty with uh, Spirit Electronics podcast behind the screen. So thank you so much, Dan and Adam. We've spoken before since Spirit is an authorized distributor for this hemp product line and others under the Infinite brand. So uh, welcome to the podcast. And I think that, uh, as always, uh, one of the things that comes up first in the conversation of hemp is that people's confused look on their face is, oh, are you in the pot business now? <laughs> so uh, uh, I believe there's always that analogy, right, or, or that association. So this really is a high-altitude electromagnetic pulse, and um, this is really not the sci-fi that you see in the movies, and I think you made a, a reference to Ocean Eleven. They have an example of this in that movie, and we can talk about it, but really this is talking about a very serious problem that exists out there, not only possibly from like a sabotage approach, but also just from the basics of lightning, like you're saying, right? So if you could maybe just touch on that a little bit more. Uh, to give our listeners an overview to jump into the technical side of it. Yeah, no, it, it is kind of funny. You know, it's a very serious topic, but it does it does make me laugh a little bit every time to think about, you know, doing a Google search for hemp and you get half responses about high, high altitude electromagnetic pulse and then half the responses about marijuana. So, you know, you end up on, you end up on two FBI watch lists with just one search. <laughs> right. <laughs> when you didn't one on one to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, um, but, you know, it is a very, it is a very, it's a serious topic. It's, it's actually kind of one of those doomy and gloomy topics, right? But we always have to um, really be vigilant about our national defense and protecting ourselves um, to protect our, our way of life. And really EMP and HEMP are, are some of the threats that, that our government is taking very seriously for good reason. You can also use the analogy of the, the Achilles heel in this case, because we're so dependent on our power grid for everything. Every aspect of our quality of life depends on our power grid. And so if uh, uh, an enemy had the ability to take our power grid down for an extended period of time, that would create a, a huge problem for us. And there's a number of you know novels, other literature that has been kind of written to characterize what would possibly happen. It almost it almost equates to a kind of a walking dead scenario, you know, where pieces of your infrastructure start to fall away and people start acting not like people anymore. So obviously that's not what we want in this country. We've got enough 
challenges that we're facing now and that we'll continue to face. But let me just describe a little bit what EMP is, because it can be certainly can be an enigma. So, so I always use the analogy of of lightning because we all have uh, seen plenty of lightning strikes in our lifetime, even if we don't live in. Uh, Florida or or Bourbon Street, which is my other favorite uh, high density lightning area uh, to visit. But, you know, lightning, obviously, if lightning strikes any building or any structure, there's not a whole lot you can do to, to prevent major damage and destruction if you don't have a, a good good lightning protection system in place. But lightning is also mostly an EMP. So when lightning strikes, it creates an electromagnetic field that then really goes out and touches all of the metallic objects within its reach. So that's primarily how lightning damages equipment is the EMP field, the electromagnetic pulse from the lightning, then goes out and couples into power systems and the data networks. And that's how it reaches the equipment and can either blow it up right now today, or if you get a lot of strikes over time, can also reduce your system reliability and cause issues and, and failures down the road. So EMP, lightning is a form of EMP, right? So EMP is like the tip of the pyramid. It's kind of the the category. And then there's a number of ways that EMPs can be generated underneath that. So lightning is one of them. And I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people listening to this podcast have actually had equipment uh, fail due to lightning. So yeah, Dan, you're right. I I can equate to the Florida in the lightning. I, I can give you a quick story here. So for the listeners that have tuned into our podcast previously, they know that I'm from Amish country. So if the power grid is affected, uh, the Amish are the only people that are okay because they, <laughs> they don't have power anyway. <laughs> so, uh, But I have been in Florida. I had a horse farm there. And I remember one day there was a lightning storm and big thunderstorm going on. And there was like literally the impact of a lightning strike near my home and it it like bounced me off of my kitchen stool at the counter i was eating lunch and i thought that was way too close and after the storm i went out and literally uh, on a like a 200 year old oak tree that it hit all the bark was laying on the ground it was fascinating just the impact that it could have right so we all know that you know your electronics gets blown out sometimes or your you know your power strips uh, protection isn't enough to withstand all of this so i can imagine anything that's more delicate than that right all the electronics we use all of the electronics that our our power grid uses our dams you know all of our military and aerospace all of that can be just so drastically affected so when i i wanted to ask you when you talk about uh, EMP versus versus high altitude EMP. What is the difference in that height range? Just give us an example. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so, so let's let's talk about that example from Ocean's Eleven first. So that um, that's what we often call like a dirty bomb. So it's a local, you know, briefcase implementation of an EMP. What you're going to have there is you're going to have some some really high energy, but it's going to be very localized, right? Because it, it also has to do with the payload. So the other end of the spectrum is to take a, you know, a large nuclear warhead and blast it off up into outer space about 200 miles above the surface of the earth is where you get to a point where that nuclear uh, warhead detonates. It's not impacted by the earth's environment right away. Okay, so if a nuclear weapon is detonated within the atmosphere, obviously 
you know, the bigger concern is for life, you know, biology. You have all those, you know, heavy particles bouncing around and causing damage to, to life forms. But in outer space, if you detonate it, it gets a good head start hurtling towards the Earth. And it actually interacts with the Earth's atmosphere and magnetic field to create three different and separate and spread out by time, three different events that vary significantly in the strength and in the frequency content. So high altitude electromagnetic pulse, we call it a triple whammy because you get you get interactions with the gamma rays and the molecules in the atmosphere to create initially a very high frequency pulse. And then after that, you get two more events that decrease in amplitude and also deep decrease in frequency. But the kicker here is since that first event is such a high frequency event, that's usually what will cause damage to equipment. All right. So if that first event causes damage to the equipment, that means the next two rolling through are just going to keep wreaking havoc and causing even more damage. So it really makes it, you know, kind of a unique problem to solve. And we're going to talk about some of the solutions that we offer in terms of search protection, but it's really more of a systems approach and more of an architecture of uh, a solution than it is just a single answer. Yeah, uh, I appreciate that. There's never a single answer to any of our questions, that's for sure. Um, I want to I dive just a little bit deeper, if you wouldn't mind, for our listeners into when we talk about damage, right? So that can obviously range from minor, like you said, a power strip or whatever, but really the extent of the damage, give us an idea of what we're talking about when we talk about the damage, if you will. Yeah, so it can be similar to lightning, you know, where you really do see sparks fly and you see carbonization in your circuit boards and your equipment, and it's just a hard failure, right? The equipment is was alive one minute and the next minute is just dead. It can't function at all. But what can be even worse is where you start to get degradation. So you mentioned, you know, our electronics are becoming more sophisticated. That means that they're becoming smaller in size in terms of each individual transistor is smaller and smaller and smaller. So it's more susceptible to that long, long-term wearing on it, you know, as it sees a, a high voltage over and over and over. Eventually, those the gate structure in the transistor start to break down, and now the damage is less obvious. And the reason I say it can be worse is because your system can actually start operating differently than it's intended to operate, and mission critical functions might be impacted, you know, in that. So there's a number of different standards that we can go into detail about. And the standards are kind of lined out to match the criticality of the application. So obviously where we have a, a red button somewhere, um, you know, to, to uh, strategically launch nuclear warheads is about the pinnacle of the amount of protection that you need to where it has to be completely impervious to EMP. But that level of protection isn't realistic as we work our way down into the uh, critical infrastructure pieces of our nation. I think that's one of the areas that we're really seeing progress in, to be honest, is in the development of those standards, whereas the initial standards were really only focused on the military. And so if you are in the critical infrastructure world, what do you do? Um, now there's starting to be some guidelines that are really actionable and, and reasonable. Yeah, no, that's super. I think it's always the early adopters, right? It's in any kind of technology, if you will. There's always I'll, I'll use like cybersecurity because we're all deep in that right now, right? So in the beginning, nobody really understood it, what, what it was, and we had some cybersecurity, but now everybody knows personally, you know, what it's like to get hacked or your email got hacked or your 
you know, your password's hacked or somebody got in your checking account. Everybody knows all this now, and now that game has upped itself to a level where folks like you and I are in an environment where the firewalls are enormous, this, you know, the CMMC levels of are one through five now, and Spirit is at a three working toward four, and I'm sure you guys are in the same boat. So it's always this progress of, of understanding, and I see, you know, hemp exactly that same way, right? The more sophisticated we get, and I think it's really, for me, what I see from an electrical test side with our value add is we call that the walking wounded, right? So they, you know, there's always something wrong, and it's intermittent. You can't find it, but, you know, when something either heats up or cools down, like when we test at temperature, we can find it, but we can't find it at room. So mm-hmm. I always look at that like what you're talking about, the system integrity goes away, right? And and because of that, we actually do a lot more system-level tests now than we used to do at a lot of component levels. So that really is helping you know, move that industry forward to kind of analyze these things at system level. So I appreciate that input from you. I think one of the things you touched on, if we could go a little bit deeper there as well, was the applications, like, you know, what the government's doing. I think there's, from our conversations and our kind of deep dive into this thing with our customer base, from outside of the aerospace and defense market, where are you finding other applications? Because in my mind, it seems pretty reasonable, right, for hospitals or utilities. Where else are you maybe some interesting spots that we might not think of the applications are coming out of the woodwork for you? Yeah, I think it really is. I mean, all those critical elements of infrastructure, and and, and we've ranked them at some point, probably won't get the order right. But I think, um, you know, it's really the power grid, number one, um, anything related to, to the power grid. And then talking, you know, down through like our dams, wastewater systems, agriculture is actually a huge one that a lot of folks would not think of. You know, security in general, medical hospitals, data centers, another huge one. You know, you, you might be able to survive losing power to your data center uh, for a little while, but if you have the data corrupted, just imagine how many issues that would cause with people's credit card transactions and, you know, personal data and things like that. So, so those are some of the big ones that come to mind. You know, one of the things we really need to see to perpetuate an EMP has somewhat come out into the public domain. Um, you know, I think when we've had some saber rattling with our uh, less than allies around the world, people have, have gotten kind of a window into that, that potential and the threat. But you know, a lot of what uh, the way that money is spent in this country is is through regulation. And, you know, so all these different sectors of the infrastructure are, are under different levels of regulation. And it, it goes to follow that, you know, usually to be compelled to uh, really invest in the solution, probably going to need some um, some push from the government and potentially some some subsidization as well, because given that it is a, a systems-based solution, it can certainly be costly to implement a very a very hardened solution, but it's even harder to do it retroactively. So the right. best way that you can implement the EMP hardening is to really think about it as you're, you're building those greenfield sites and as you're, you know, rolling out new systems. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, actually. I, I think that sometimes, you know, as a nation, we're, we're reactionary, right? Like we never used to check anybody's shoes or underwear going through the airport, but, you know, now they're checking your shoes and they're scanning your body, right? So we're, because of, you know, it's reactionary, it didn't, it didn't come as a proactive uh, solution. But Yeah, and I let's be real. That. I mean, we have, uh, we have issues with our power systems going down even without Amper EMP2. So, yes, yes right. certainly. Yeah, um, infrastructure. 
I believe that I think you hit on one of, you know, the data centers for sure. I mean, we all have been at the airport stranded when, you know, the ticketing counter goes down or whatever. So uh, imagine the data centers, no gas basically, right? Because a lot of people are no cash on hand kind of thing. But also I think the, the bigger issue equally is the server farms, right? So there's server farms out there providing all of us with the bandwidth now that's being consumed by all the work from home and the kids online and all of that. It's absolutely a deal breaker for sure. So um, let's touch on one other thing. You, uh, I think you were starting to go down that line, like the complexity of, of the solution, right? And I think that's where I love this podcast that we're doing today just to kind of you know, give the listeners some idea of what's going on and maybe we can have a part two follow-up and get you know, very detailed about solutions because I think that the the challenge that we see as far as being your partner as a distributor for this product line is that this is not a component or a box solution. This is really an engagement with somebody over time to like implement an entire system within their infrastructure. And this is system level solutions. So it isn't just a plug and play, if you will. This really is a get to know your your customer, engage with them heavily, and help them build it and their facilities people put this in place. So let's talk a little bit about that, you know, heavy lifting that can be done. And obviously you and Adam are very versed in in the product line, so maybe we can touch a little bit on on some of the product lines as well. Yeah, you bet. Well, let me, um, I guess, let's start the conversation with, you know, to, again, to harden the, that system that, that is responsible for the, you know, the football and the codes to launch our, our nuclear weapons. Um, we call it the four pillars of hardening. And those four pillars are surge protection, like to lead with that one always, of course, but then also grounding, filtering, and shielding. So those are all aspects that that work with each other. So let's take grounding, for example. The way that a lightning protection system works today is that you've got a, you've got a good uh, connection into the earth ground, which provides a path for most of that, that energy to flow into safely away from the equipment. Same thing with, with the MP. So the surge protection acts like a voltage controlled switch. While it's um, just doing its uh, thing day by day, it's basically transparent to the system and it only reacts when it sees a voltage that exceeds the system. So it knows there's a problem and it changes state to give a low impedance path that then connects to the ground and kind of gives that transient avenue again away from the equipment that's then downstream from that, that area. The filtering and the shielding are also important because with filtering, you can effectively change the wave shape of the pulse coming into your facility and you can slow it down a little bit and you can give your surge protector a chance to grab onto it and really you know, take more of it away from the system. And the shielding, if we didn't have to have power cables and data cables running in and out of our buildings, we would just make a big Faraday cage on the ground and we'd be set, right? <laughs> And I think a lot of people understand the concept of a Faraday cage, where if it's a you know a fully sealed, conductive, enclosed area that no electromagnetic energy can can basically get in and out. But we do have power and data that we need to uh, move in and out of all of our our buildings and even mobile missile launching systems and things like that. And so that's where you get those four pillars to work together. 
you can successfully have a hardened system and still be able to have that data and power passing where it, where it needs to go without uh, without being impacted. So, and let me just go in a little bit more detail into the surge protection as well, because um, you mentioned earlier the, the surge protective power strip, and I know I'm kicking one under my desk in my home <laughs> office right now, right? In fact, funny story, my, my Wi-Fi was out for almost half a day and uh, we were just losing our minds, right? We've got four teenagers here, dad working from home, mom working from home. And as I was blaming the uh, new network company that we have, I realized I had kicked my power strip under my desk and unplugged the modem. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that is called clutter in your brain from having four teenagers at home and you're working there also. <laughs> uh, so, but anyway, the reason I bring that up is because, you know, what we make is we make surge protectors that are basically you know, extremely high performance versions of those same power strips. And we build in multiple stages of protection and we also build them into custom form factors. So a lot of times our surge protectors can be bolted up onto what's called a master shield. So if if you have a, a Faraday cage environment like the military does, we actually can, can mount our protector so that it becomes a part of that shield and a direct part of that grounding system. And so it's very integrated. And for, um, for now, let's go to the other end of the spectrum where you just want to make sure that all the important things in your household are protected through an EMP event, right? So this certainly flows all the way down to residential customers. In that case, you can install one of our AC entrance panel protectors that is part of the product line that you were describing earlier that comes in a shielded box. So you basically, if you, if you can use... Um, some shielded conduit to install that at your house, you can accomplish sufficient level of shielding that's going to protect all of your electronics. Um, you know, it's going to allow for when the power grid, if it goes down, when it comes back on, everything is going to be normal. And so we have, um, we definitely could go into more detail in that. We have some recommendations that go along with the commercial guidelines released by the Department of Homeland Security that talk about some practical ways you can implement those those filtering and shielding and surge protection too. They, they did it the right way. Instead of making it a really complicated guideline that's difficult to understand, they, they tee it up in how quickly do you need your system to recover? Do you need it to have no disruption at all down to can you live without power for a couple hours? So by putting it in those characteristics and kind of setting up the recommendations accordingly, I think they did a really good job because I think it's practical. And I think that uh, the things that people can actually do that really make a big improvement in, in the hardening for their systems. Yeah, no, that's super. It's very applicable to as you know, to the homeowner or whatever. We certainly can relate to it. Just this summer, we've upgraded the power in our building because we've added all of our environmental chambers and our temp cycles and solder dip and X-ray, uh, XRF and HAST and all these things. And we went from a 1200 amp service to a 3000 amp service. So we Im implemented all of these things and have about 12 quick disconnects out back. I mean, I could live in a box that holds the meters now, you know, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's uh, quite a, it, it cost me about the, the price of a house too. So, but I think it is key that, you know, even just from the, the average homeowner all the way up to, you know, the, the most delicate uh, aspects of our government security that this is a, is a real issue that's coming to light. And I really appreciate you joining me today because I, I think this is like a great intro. And if we could get you on another time in the near future for a round two, I would love to get into the actual, you know, specifics of possibly building a system for somebody like us in our building or, uh, you know, maybe a Qualcomm, you know, what's that look like or anybody that's 
really considering it to try to elevate the conversation and uh, kind of get that ball rolling to get people, get the early adopters adopting a little faster, right? Yeah, I tell you, it's uh, it's been wonderful to be with you. I think um, it's a message again. It can be a kind of a doom and gloom kind of scenario, but it's a very important one for us to uh, to maintain our way of life. So I would be delighted to uh, come back and I can get just as nerdy as we need to get. I love the technical aspects of this probably the most uh, because it is very fascinating. So thank you so much. It's been great to be with Spirit Electronics today. Great. Thank you, Dan. And uh, you go, you are under the Infinite brand, but you have your own hemp line separate. I know Infinite is kind of an umbrella that we have Elcon and Miles Tech and Pasternax under there. So you guys are under that umbrella as Correct. far as a corporate structure, but you, it is your own hemp division, basically. And those two is Polyphaser. Remind me of the other one. Transtector is the other one. Um, and, and yeah, and that's absolutely right. So Infinite doesn't go to market with any products branded Infinite. So it's all about the brands. I think it's probably also worth noting that, um, you know, the hemp tested uh, product line that that is out there and available through you guys. Uh, we also do um, some work behind the scenes specifically for uh, military organizations, not working on anything secret right now, but we do a lot with ITAR, right? So we can't always describe everything that we're working on, but it's good to know that we've got this really powerful engineering team that's really, you know, behind the, the, the impetus for this product line. Really, the technology derives from the same technology that's utilized in, um, you know, missile defense systems and and some very, very critical assets for the military. So we're always open to doing um, custom designs uh, for anyone out there as well, if there's not a product in our line that suits your need today. Excellent, yeah, that's one thing about your whole, all of your divisions seem to have a very responsive and quick turn, if you will, solution that I, I like that everybody's got all of the manufacturing at your fingertips, that, that's key for us as well. We appreciate that. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dan and Adam, and uh, stay tuned. We'll get another episode going with a lot deeper dive into the components and the system development. So I appreciate your time today on Behind the Screen. Thanks for listening with Spirit this week. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast to let us know what you want to hear about in aerospace and defense. You can find out more about Spirit's value-added services and product lines at spiritelectronics.com.